We'll be reading today from uh, Psalm 143 from the ESV. Uh, this is a Psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make known to me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord, for I have fled to you for refuge. For refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we have the opportunity to come before you. Thank you that you listen to our cries for help. And thank you that um, you have that steadfast love that comforts and supports and guides us in your perfect will. Please prepare our ears and our hearts for Alan's sermon and help us to grow closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Zach, and you're always allowed to take an opportunity when you need it, so I appreciate that, Zach. Um, you know, uh, excited to jump in um, to this psalm. This psalm that Zach just read, Psalm 143, is actually what we're going to be studying together uh, this morning, so if you have a Bible, you can open it up and just get it to Psalm 143 or Bring it up on a smartphone if you have it, that's fine, and we will have the verses uh, on the screen uh, behind me as well. So I was born in 1986. That makes me 34 years old, all right, if you, so you don't have to do the math. Um, and what that makes me is an old millennial, all right? I am an old millennial. The millennial generation, if you didn't know, goes from about 1981 to 1996, all right, okay, there we go, and, uh, and, and if you're like, curious, well, what generation does that make me? Well, if you were born after 1997 to about 2012, you're Gen Z, all right, you're Gen Z. Now, before that, if you were born 1965 to 1980, that makes you Gen X, and for those of you born 1946 to 64, you are the baby boomer generation. All right, yeah, there you go. We've got, we've got them all. We've got 
boomers all the way to Gen Z uh, with us here this morning. Now, here's the thing. There is a big difference between old millennials and young millennials, a big difference between the two. All right, there's actually a chasm between the two. I would say there's a chasm that separates all of the generations. Baby boomers, Gen X, old millennials, chasm, and then young millennials, Gen Z, then I guess it's what, Gen Alpha or something like that. After that, I guess that's what my kids are. And that big chasm is the internet. Old millennials like me did not have a childhood with the internet or with mobile devices, all right? It wasn't until I was later on a teenager, I actually got my first cell phone, and that's when it was just like, you know, we had Snake, and that was about it to play. Um, my generation, we didn't have streamed videos or anything like that. I grew up going to Blockbuster, Rewind, Be Kind and Rewind, and all of that, but there's that big chasm between the two. The, the younger millennials grew up with the internet. That's when the internet exploded in our world. And they grew up with mobile devices and social media. And, and so our world over these last couple of decades has transitioned in how it expresses itself in culture. And so today, much of our world expresses itself in culture, uh, uh, processes information in culture through the internet, through social media. And, and my part of the generation and older didn't grow up doing that, expressing itself through things like memes and TikTok videos and Instagram and all that. We're still trying to figure out all of that stuff and how to use it. I know I'm, I'm trying to use it. My wife is much better uh, at it than I am. Um, but, but one of the things that has caught my eye over uh, the last couple of years is a particular meme, all right, that... The generations have been using, the younger generations have been using to kind of express what their experience has been like over the last two years. It's a meme that is called How It Started, How It's Going. Have y'all seen it? Y'all seen How It Started, How It's Going? Okay, two of you. Great. How it started, how it's going. So this is a, it's a meme where, you know, you could express something like you're celebrating something in your life. You, you're reminiscing on how things started in your life and you're looking at how it's going. I'll give you an example. But put uh, the first one up here for me. All right, this is a meme by Selena Gomez. All right, I didn't know this, but she started on Barney. So this is her meme. How it started, she was a child on Barney. How it's going, she's put out a couple of platinum Records now. This is a way of celebrating, saying, Look at how far I've come. Do the next one, Zach, real quick. I like this one better. This is from the Caps, how it started, how it's going. So, this is uh, Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom uh, from the Caps when they first joined the team back in the early 2000s with the hideous colors. All right. And now, how it's going. This is 2018, them celebrating winning the Stanley Cup with a much better. Uh, colors on their jersey. How it started, how it's going. Look how far we've come. But when 2020 hit, what happened was a lot of people began to use this meme to express lament, like how hard things have gotten for them. So this particular one caught my eye a long time ago, but I related with it, so I'll share it with you. Put the, put the next one up. Here's Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Me at the start of 2020, I think that's him from The Wolf of Wall Street. And then me now, I think that's him from The Revenant. And so many people have used this meme to express, man, 2020 started so great, 
And then it just beat me up. After it, I just feel older. I feel tired. I feel run down. I, I resonate with this one right here. This is how 2020 felt for me in 2021, if I'm honest. Man, at the beginning of 2020, I, I, I was excited. I felt so great. Our church had so much momentum. Great things were happening. And then, boom, obviously we know the pandemic hit. And that was such a gut punch for all of us in so many different areas of our life. And just feel beat down over that. Now, as a pastor, I, I get to meet with a lot of you and talk with a lot of you. And, and another area where this particular meme, I think, resonates with people is in their faith. Where they reminisce about when they first came to faith in Jesus Christ. And they think about how passionate they were and how joyful they were and how hungry they were to learn the word of God. But just as they have walked with Jesus, as they have kept with the faith, they don't feel the joy anymore. In fact, maybe they feel a little bit more beat up. We're, we live in a culture, it's hard to follow Jesus in this culture. Or, or as we continue to follow Jesus, maybe we get a lot of questions that don't have a lot of answers and we're not really sure what we believe anymore, and we get to this point where we go, man, I wish I could just go back to the way it was when I first became a follower of Jesus, where everything seemed so clear and joyful, and I was so hungry to learn, and I don't feel that way anymore. Well, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to press pause on this sermon series we've been in, studying the Gospel of Luke um, I think we're hitting part 40 or something like that. Actually, in a couple of weeks, Justin Winthers is going to preach his first sermon. And I think he's going to take the next few verses in Luke chapter 12, where we'll be. And then what we're going to do at that point is, is bring Luke volume 1 to a close for a bit. All right, because we're about halfway through that gospel. And uh, we're going to spend some time this fall preaching through the vision of our church and where we believe God is calling us um, as we move forward. And then we're going to spend some time in Romans together uh, as a church this fall. Excited about that. And we'll engage Luke volume two uh, next year, probably in the spring in uh, 2022. But this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to take the next three weeks to meditate on this psalm that Zach just read for us, Psalm 143. You know, when we think about the psalms, um, my friend uh, Kurt Thompson says that one of the ways that we know that God is a safe person to express how we feel in our emotions and everything going on inside of us, good, bad, or ugly, right? The way that we know that God is a safe person to do that is because he, the largest book in the Bible is 150 psalms that do just that. When we look at the psalms, we, we have a book that's full of all kinds of feelings being expressed to God. Feelings of gratitude and praise, feelings of anger at God, frustration at God, feelings of judgment, asking God to literally judge people, feelings of doubt. God, I don't even know if you're there anymore. It's all in the Psalms, and it, and it gives us permission as God's people to express to God 
where we're at in our faith and how we feel and how things are going. And what is amazing about the Psalms is that they invite us to express those things to God and then it comes back at us by encouraging us about the truth about God. So it invites us to express how we feel and then we're encouraged and built up by the character and who God is. That's not to invalidate what we feel, but it's, to actually, it's actually a way of God hearing what we feel and responding to us with the truth. And so this morning, we're gonna jump into Psalm 143 and this is a Psalm of David and David is looking back on his life and he's going, man, I wish I could go back to the way it was in the beginning. And and right now in my life, he's confessing to God. He goes, God, I feel indifferent. I feel apathetic. I'm not really excited about my faith. He goes, my soul is faint. I'm appalled. Because he's been through a lot of hard things and he's just tired. And Psalm 143 is David expressing those things to God and God encouraging and building up David with the truth of who he is. And my hope this morning is that we can be encouraged in the same way because I think for a lot of us, when it comes to our faith and our walk with Jesus, we feel tired. And just like David, we have permission to go to God and say, God, I'm tired and to see how he'll encourage our souls. And so we're gonna do that for three weeks. We're just gonna meditate on this psalm. And so I, I encourage you, while you walk through this with us over the next three weeks, read Psalm 143. Do it over and over and over again this uh, week and next week. Let's just immerse ourselves in this psalm and how God encourages us. Let me read it. We're gonna just do the first six verses today, just the first half Uh, of the psalm, and then we'll take the next two weeks after this to finish up the psalm. So I'm going to read Psalm 143, verses 1 to 6. As we read this psalm, I want you to pick up on the emotions and the feelings that David is throwing up at God, saying, God, here's where I'm at, and I'm curious which ones you resonate with. He says this, hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. You ever said that to God? Answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He's crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. Why do you let these things happen? I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you've done. I ponder the work of your hands. Stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Then we see the word selah, which means breathe. Take a breath. Pause. What has David just expressed to God that resonates with your soul. 
God, why are you letting this happen? God, I feel like you're not answering me. God, are you even there? My, my soul is parched. This morning, my prayer is that the truths that we find here in verses 1 to 6 will encourage each and every one of our souls. And so here's what we've got. I've got three truths that we see from these first six verses. Three truths about your relationship with God. Because oftentimes, what you and I can do as we walk with Jesus is we can assume things about our relationship with God. We can assume something about how we stand before God. We can assume things about how God feels about us. We can assume a lot about our relationship with God. So I'm going to give you three truths from Psalm 143, verses 1 to 6, that are about your relationship with God that I think will counter some of these assumptions. So here's truth number one. Truth number one about your relationship with God is this, is that God hears you on the basis of his righteousness, not yours. Truth number one is this. God hears you on the basis of his righteousness, not yours. Look at verses one and two with me again, where David says, hear my prayer, Lord. Give ear to my pleas of mercy. God, hear me, listen to me. In your faithfulness, answer me. He didn't say in my faithfulness. He says, in your righteousness, answer me. Who who is David appealing to? He's not appealing to himself. He's not appealing to his own righteousness. He's not appealing to the great week of quiet times he just had. He's not appealing to anything. He's appealing to the righteousness and the faithfulness of God. He says, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living, including myself, is righteous before you. No one could claim their own righteousness and demand that you hear them. This is a really biblical concept. This idea of God listens to you, he hears you, your relationship with him is conditioned not upon your righteousness, but upon his righteousness. Very biblical concept. If we hang a right in our Bible over to Daniel chapter nine real quick. I'll just read these verses. So Daniel is in Babylon, all right? And this, he is a part of a group of Israelites that got exiled from Israel over to Babylon. And so Daniel's with all of those people and he's praying to God on behalf of Israel. And I want you to listen to his prayer. I'm just gonna read a few verses. Daniel 9, verse 16. This is Daniel praying to God on behalf of his people. He says, oh Lord, according to all, look at this, your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate." 
Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation and the city that is called by your name. For we do not, look at this, we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not, not for for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. What Daniel does is he prays to God as he directly appeals not to the righteousness of the Israelites. He has said, listen, we have sinned big time. And everyone around is talking about it. So it's not according to our righteousness. God, do something on the basis of your righteousness. And so what I want us to see here this morning is that is how you relate to God. God hears you. God loves you. God is steadfast with you, not because of your righteousness, but because of God's righteousness. Even if in your relationship with God, you have been apathetic, he hasn't. Even in if your relationship with God, you've had a bad week, and you're like, man, I look at the week before me, and I go, man, that was a week of a lot of sinning. Well, it wasn't with God. Even if you've been angry at God, even if you've had questions about God that have not gone answered, his relationship with you is anchored not in your righteousness, but in his. Listen, God doesn't do relationship like the world does relationship. You know, God's not moody. He doesn't see something that you did and then hold a grudge for a few weeks and withhold your prayers and withhold some things and then decide to, okay, we're good now and come back in relationship with you. God doesn't do relationship like the world does. He does it completely different. And that is exactly why God is a safe person to express all that we're feeling and going through, even if it's anger at him, because he is consistent and steadfast with the way in which he loves and relates with us. How? How is that possible that God could relate with us in that way? What does it even mean that our relationship with him is on the basis of his righteousness? It's possible because of the cross of Jesus Christ. At the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus took upon himself all of our sin. He took upon himself all of God's wrath and judgment and bitterness against our sin. And so God doesn't hold grudges against us because Jesus went to the cross and finished the work of paying off the debt of our sins, and he gives us his righteousness. And so when we say that your relationship with God is on the basis of his righteousness, what we're saying is that at the cross, you receive the righteousness of God himself. And therefore, his relationship with you is based off of that. Is this for all people? Is this universally applied to all people? Bible says no. This is the way that God loves his children. He loves his children with a steadfast love that is anchored within his own faithfulness. And so my question for you this morning is this, are you his child? 
Are you a child of God? Because what it means to be a child of God is it means that you have gone to God like David just did. You've gone to God like Daniel just did, and you've confessed, God, I've got nothing to offer when it comes to my own righteousness. I know I've sinned before you, and I deserve your judgment. I don't deserve your grace and your mercy and your blessing. But God, I I confess that, I repent that, and I put all of my trust on the cross where you tell me in the scriptures that Jesus took all of my sin and he took all of the punishment for my sin. And if I trust in the cross, then we can be restored in our relationship and that relationship will now be on the basis of your righteousness and not mine. That's crazy news to comprehend, but it's what the scripture says and that's how you become a child of God. But if you are his child this morning, be encouraged, be built up on the truth that God hears you. He's with you. He has not left you precisely because of his righteousness and his faithfulness, which never falters. I love what J.D. Greer says in his book, Just Ask, it's a new book he just put out on prayer. I've been reading and been encouraged by it. He says this, he says, this means that of all the things I might wonder with regard to an unanswered prayer, like, God, why aren't you answering me? I never have to wonder what it means about how God feels about me. The cross shows me that any reason that would ever make God turn away from me was laid on Jesus. And the Father turned away from him as he hung there in my place. God placed my sin on Jesus so that he would never turn away from me. If you are his children, if you are his child, he hears you and he's with you. Be encouraged by that truth this morning. But I also know that that brings up some other questions. Like, hey, that's a great truth, and that is comforting to my soul. But still, why hasn't he answered? Still, why am I going through hard things? Why doesn't he seem to be listening to my prayers as I'm suffering through whatever it is I'm suffering through? And that leads us to truth number two about your relationship with Jesus, and that's this. Truth number two is this. Hard things are not a sign that he has abandoned you. Going through hard things in this life, it is not a sign that God has abandoned you. Once you look at verses three to four here in Psalm 143. It says, for the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. If we read about the life of David, we read about the, the days and the nights that he was pursued by Saul and Saul's men. And the days and nights that people were coming after his own life and This is one of those areas where he's just remembering all of the hard things he's endured. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. God, I'm struggling to believe in you. My heart within me is appalled. It's astonished. Why would you let these things happen to me? Many of you might know the name uh, Charles Spurgeon. He was a uh, famous uh, preacher in the 19th century uh, in London. 
Charles Spurgeon was converted to Christ. He came to Christ at age 15. By the time he was age 19, and I believe that was in 1854, at age 19, he became the pastor of the New Park Street Chapel in London. Famous church. 19 years old. And he was a phenomenal preacher. His fame spread throughout all of London and the countryside around. And so the church began to grow after he became the pastor of this church, so much so that they had to go mobile church, and they moved to the Exeter Music Hall so the church could grow. And he began to preach. And Spurgeon writes about how sick and anxious he would get before preaching because to, to, to carry the weight of preaching God's word was so much for him. He would get sick. He'd literally throw up before he would preach. About two years after he became the pastor of the church, the church was growing so much, they moved the church from the Exeter Music Hall to the Surrey Gardens Music Hall to fit more people in because more than 10,000 people wanted to come and hear Spurgeon preach. The first Sunday that he preached at the Surrey Gardens Music Hall, over 10,000 people present, in the middle of sermon, someone screamed out at the top of their lungs, Fire! It was a prank but it caused a stampede. Just utter panic and chaos of people rushed to try to get out of the music hall. And seven people were killed. Dozens and dozens and dozens injured and in critical condition. Spurgeon, after that, was never the same. He struggled with chronic depression for the rest of his life. One of the most famous preachers in the last few centuries. Chronic annual depression, deep depression, put him in bed for months type of depression for the rest of his life. Struggle with guilt, struggle with God, why did you let this happen? In the middle of my sermon, he struggled with responsibility for those souls. It just changed him. His body began to break down. He had all kinds of different physical ailments and he writes a lot about his struggle with depression, wondering why God would cause him to go through this. And I want you to see what he says, reflecting on this when he was an older man, later on in life, as he looked back at this life that he had dealt with. Look at what he says. He says, I, the preacher of this hour, this was him preaching a sermon Beg to bear my witness that the worst days I have ever had have turned out to be my best days. And when God has seemed most cruel to me, he has then been most kind. If there is anything in this world for which I would bless him more than for anything else, it is for pain and affliction. I'm sure that in these things, the richest Tenderest love has been manifested to me. This is classic Spurgeon, I love it. Our father's wagons rumble most heavily when they are bringing us the richest freight of the bouillon of his grace. Love letters from heaven are often sent in black-edged envelopes. The cloud that is black with horror is big with mercy. Fear not the storm. It brings healing in its wings. And when Jesus is with you in the vessel, in the boat, the tempest, the storm only hastens the ship to its desired haven. Are you confused, 
frustrated by the things that God is allowing you to endure today. There's a lot of things going on. Maybe it's health problems or mental illness like Spurgeon or division, broken relationships. There's a lot of that happening or family issues, things at home, whatever it is. The Psalms this morning invite you to express all of it to God. God is a safe place to empty out that bin of frustration and grief and anger. And I want your soul to be encouraged this morning by the truth that hard things are not a sign that God has left you or has abandoned you or is punishing you. But in fact, they are most of the time a sign that God is more near to you and he is working something more beautiful in you than you could ever imagine. And that is a truth that is just hard for us to comprehend, but it was true for David, it was true for Spurgeon, and I'm also reminded of the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul is talking about how God has given him this thorn in his side. We don't know what it was. It could have been a physical ailment. It could have been something else, anxiety, a distress, whatever it was. But Paul had some sort of suffering that he begged God to take away from him. And look what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, he says this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Look at what Paul says. This is what Spurgeon just said. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then look at this, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Content for when I am weak, then I'm strong. Hard things are not a sign that God has abandoned us. Most of the time, they are a sign that God is doing an amazing work in us. Truth number three that we get from Psalm 143 about our relationship with God is this. The longer you walk with God, the harder you will thirst for him. The longer you walk with God, the harder you will thirst for him. Look at verses five and six where David says, I remember the days of old, God, when we we first called me. I meditate on all that you've done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. See, we can be encouraged by truths, number one and two. This reality that God hears us not on our own basis of our own righteousness, but, but his own, and, and this truth that hard things don't mean that he's abandoned us. We can be encouraged by that. But how often do we still thirst for the way things used to be? For when we first came to Christ, and how simple and joyful and easy it seemed. You know, the other day, uh, a couple days ago, uh, I took my family um, to this new ice cream place in the area. Now, I'm not going to name the ice cream place because I'm going to be critical of it. Um, 
we took them to a new ice cream place. And, and we were excited about it because it's this place that, you know, that if you look at the pictures online of like their creations, it's insane, right? And they're huge and we spent way too much money, but we were excited to take the kids. It was just this family outing on ice cream. And so we, we get the things, it takes forever to make. It's massive, it's huge, there's all these toppings. And so we're excited to dig in because my family and I, we, we love ice cream. And we started to eat and Kim and I began to look at each other and we go, this isn't good. <laughs> like, it's not good. The ingredients seemed really cheap. Yeah, it looked great. But listen, I'm a Southern boy. I grew up on Bluebell ice cream, all right? You know, thank you, yeah. <laughs> you know, or if you go to these gelato places with the amazing ingredients, yeah, it's like $18 for like a little cup like that, but it's incredible. And my wife and I, we're kind of foodies, so we appreciate good food and, and good ingredients and all of that. And we looked at each other and we go, this, this, this doesn't taste good at all. Like when we were kids, this would have been awesome, but we've lived life. We've lived a lot of life and we've tasted really good things. And now we know oh, that's not as good. If you've been walking with God for a long time, you've walked through a lot of things. You've tasted his goodness in a lot of different areas. You've seen how he's faithful through hard things. You're, you're kind of like David who, who says, I meditate on all that you've done. I ponder the works of your hands. You've grown in knowledge of who God is and you've tasted amazing things. And the reality is the more you taste that of God, the more you're gonna want more. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said this in his famous book, The Pursuit of God. He says, oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. And Tozer's point is, the longer you walk with God, the harder you're going to thirst after him. And so this morning, if you're parched, and if you have a thirst for God, and if you're thinking back on the way it used to be, and you're thirsty for the way that that was, I, listen, I, I just want to encourage you with this. I don't take that as a sign of weakness in your faith. I don't take that as a sign of immaturity in your faith. Actually, quite the opposite. I take that as a sign as you have walked with God and you are thirsty for more and you are crying out to him for more of him. And so I encourage you to do what the psalmist does. Stretch out your hands as he does. He stretches out his hands. He says, God, my soul thirsts for you. And share with God with where your soul is at and then do what the next word says, Selah, breathe. Stop, rest, and think about all of the things that God has done for you and the truths that we learn here in Psalm 143. Namely, that he does not leave us. He will not abandon us, not on the basis of our righteousness, but on the basis of his. And that's one of the reasons why we as the church take communion. We take communion because it's a way for us as the body of Christ 
to remind our souls of all the works that God has done and to remind our souls of the basis through which we relate with God. Right When we take communion, we, we take bread and we break it and we are reminded of the broken body of Jesus and how all of God's judgment and wrath and bitterness and frustration against our sin was put upon Jesus on the cross, not us. And when we break that bread and we eat that bread, we remember the cross. We remember, Jesus, you took that for me. And so I'm reminded, God, you don't have any bitterness or anger or wrath towards me. You're pleased. And we take the juice and we drink it and we're reminded of the shed blood of Jesus. And how it's cleansed us from all of our sin. And it's made us perfectly righteous in his sight. And so we're reminded, God, you didn't just take my sin away. It's not that you're just not frustrated with me anymore. No, you are utterly pleased because I'm righteous in your sight. We remember the cross. This is the basis of our relationship with God. So what we're going to do is we're going to just end our time. I'm, I'm going to pray. And then I just... I encourage you, take a few moments in your chair. Don't, don't rush. and Just meditate on what we've learned today. If you've got stuff you need to express to God in your heart, let him hear it. He knows he's, it's there, and he's a safe person to say it to. And then be encouraged by what we've learned today in Psalm 143. And I'm going to invite you to the table. I don't see a table up here. Lindsay, do we have a table? It's coming. Oh, wow, look at that. Table's coming. I invite you up to the table to take some bread and take some juice and remember the cross of Jesus Christ, which is the basis of your relationship with God. And just one more thing I want to say. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, to my question earlier, you would say, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm a child of God based off of your definition. Don't worry about communion, all right? Communion is, is an expression of that belief. But my encouragement to you today is to sit in your chair and pray. God, are you there? Are these words that we've been listening to, this book, the Bible, everything that guy up there is saying, are those true things? Ask God to reveal that to you. And if you have any questions about what it means to place your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, I would love to talk to you. There are many people in here, if you came with someone, who would love to talk to you about that. All right, so let's pray. Then I encourage you to take a few moments um, to meditate in your chair. Come to the table, and we'll close our time in some song. Let's pray. Father, Just so thankful for the Psalms. So thankful that you invite us to share not all the things that are in our head, but also everything that's in our heart. Just thankful that you're not afraid of the things that we feel. And that if we are angry with you, or if we're frustrated, or if we're confused, or if we're doubting you, it, you're not afraid of us coming to you with those things. In fact, you invite us to. I'm thankful that you want to have a relationship with us. So God, this morning, I just pray for everybody in the room that 
They could have a moment with you right now where their soul is just encouraged. Lord, if there's people in here who don't know you, God, I pray you would reveal yourself to them, the truth of the gospel, and their soul would be encouraged in that. God, if there's people in here who just feel lost and beat up, that, Lord, you would begin to build them back up this morning. And God, if there's people here who just feel, man, I just feel like I've lost all joy in my walk with Jesus. God, by your spirit, would you restore their joy this morning? Jesus, we thank you for the cross, and we thank you that the truth is that if we had to relate with you on the basis of our own righteousness, we'd have no shot, like David said. But God, in your goodness and your grace and your mercy, it's not how you did it. It's on the basis of yours. So we praise you. Just pray right now, God, you administer to each person in their chairs as we sit with you.